This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch Fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets unbeatable. I'm ready to get on Clutch Fans. Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while. Uh, we are at the scene of the Toyota Center here after the Rockets beat the Portland Trailblazers 110-95, to a game in which James Harden put up 44 points. 42 of those came uh, through three quarters. And uh, the Rockets got a small measure of revenge against the Blazers after uh, last year's playoff series, though LaMarcus Aldridge did sit this one out. Um, so it wasn't quite the... Uh, it really wasn't the full Blazers team at all with Robin Lopez sitting out as well. I'm here with my good friend uh, M.K. Bauer from Culture Map uh, and Sports Exchange. And uh, M.K., it's always a pleasure to have you on, my man. I appreciate the opportunity, Dave. You know, there's uh, so much to talk about. We haven't really done a, a pod in a while, and uh, the Rockets sort of create this artificial trade deadline in December now, the last couple of years, and this year they actually uh, pulled off some deals. So we're going to get into some of that. But uh, first I'd like to talk a little bit about this game, maybe the Rockets' play uh, of late. What what jumped out to you about this game in particular? Uh, playing with pace. You know, Kevin McHale loves talking about this, and sometimes the Rockets don't execute it. And I thought it was integral tonight to have Corey Brewer come in in the second quarter and really spark a huge run of turning defense to offense. And, look, I understand that every time, every game, you can't get transition points. It's difficult. Some teams get back very well. Some teams understand spacing defensively when you're trying to run in transition. But the Rockets are so effective at it. And when they, they, they attack the passing lanes, they have so many guys who can pass in transition, so many guys who can finish at the rim. I thought tonight was one of those examples of how deadly they can be in transition because they have so many guys who know how to flood the basket with quickness. Um, it turned the game around. Obviously, Brewer um, inspiring them defensively was key to that. But once they got running in the second quarter, I thought it just overwhelmed Portland with score with the Rockets in the first quarter. The second quarter came, they couldn't keep up. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, Brewer came in and I, I was inspired watching this guy because I really wasn't 100% sure how he would fit in. I mean, I thought it was a good addition. Obviously, he, he's very active. I think having somebody like uh, Dwight Howard behind him uh, with Trevor Reza maybe taking the toughest defensive assignment, he could be him and do him. And, and he, he was able to provide a lot of energy tonight. Uh, you know, I thought it was funny. I'm like, man, this guy's great. And you're like, you know, calm down, calm down. And I did, have to, I did think a little bit about Trevor Reza's first five games where he just exploded offensively. And we've seen this uh, sort of uh, on the offensive side of the ball a lull for a long time. But it was an eye-opening uh, uh, debut on how he could fit in with this team because, you know, without that three-point range, so we thought uh, we didn't think that he'd be the ideal fit here. Yeah, a couple corner threes. I wouldn't get too excited about that because now he has a six all season. So that's something that I'm not going to hang my hat on. But... I think the way he played defense, just the aggression, again, being in the passing lanes, really baiting guys into making poor decisions with the basketball, 
I think that's what he does. And, and he, he has no fear of all, at all of turning around and getting going from defense to offense. And when you have guys that hit the corners in Ariza and Beverly and Harden, um, or guys that can attack the rim specifically in James Harden or in Dwight Howard, it really makes him a very deadly team. So I think the, the shooting will come and go. I don't think he's going to be a, a 50% shooter, obviously, or a 50% shooter both on the field and three-pointers this season because nothing in his past suggests that even when he was a volume three-point shooter in the past, he barely shot 30% those opportunities with both Denver and with Minnesota. So I think that's the thing that, that's going to be mitigated somewhat. But the defense is going to always be there. The energy is always going to be there. And that's what they need in that second unit, some length. And we'll get into Alexi Sved in a second and some defensive prowess. And, and you saw that tonight with Corey Brewer. He was fired up after the game talking about it because he recognizes out of all the things that come with this game, that's the one thing that can be a constant energy, intensity, defensive pressure. And when you can get that from a second unit guy who's been around the block, I think it inspires other guys on the court. I was really intrigued watching him play with Harden and Ariza for stretches because we've both acknowledged that Harden's been much better defensively this year. You get three guys out there who are really working at hard on the perimeter defensively, it makes you a much, much better team. Oh, yeah. I, you know, defensively, I've been impressed. I thought, uh, you know, the, the game against the Pelicans that first half, that was, you know, it's just... Awful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was the one time, I think, where we've seen them just look really poor defensively. I, you know, the last couple of games, it was discouraging a little bit. Harden played poorly, and I think on the offensive side of the ball, if you shut down Harden, you shut down the Rockets for the most part. I mean, they're not a super effective offensive team. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm no, just going on the eyeball test there. But, you know, I, I look at that, and I think, you know, defenses should just be doubling and focusing on Harden, making the Rockets beat them from three-point range where they haven't been super efficient this year. So it was encouraging after a couple of, I don't want to say clunkers, not great games, certainly against Atlanta, 0 for 7 in the first half, Harden. Uh, tonight just came out and exploded, 14 to 26 from the field, 44 points, two points shy of his career high, um, and just relentlessly attacking the basket, something we didn't see him do consistently in the playoffs and certainly didn't get a lot of calls in, in, in the playoffs as well or, or was harder for him to draw those calls. But uh, we saw a different Harden, a guy who seemed very focused and uh, maybe seeking a little bit of revenge against this team. I don't want to simplify this too much, but when he gets to the line, he plays well. And the games that we've seen him get 10, 13, 15 free throw attempts, it seems like those are the games that he's most effective. When he doesn't hit double digits or at least 12, it seems like he struggles a little bit because the shot hasn't quite been there this year tonight. He shot very well, 14 of 26 from the floor. But by and large, he hasn't been an extraordinary shooter. It's all predicated on his ability to be aggressive, to attack the rim, and get to the line. When teams don't follow him, we see him struggle, and by, by, by and large, we see the team struggle around him. When he's able to get to the line, and tonight, I just thought he was extraordinary at just getting to the lane and making the Blazers figure out what to do defensively. Had him on their heels, whether it was you know Nicholas Batum or C.J. McCollum, or more importantly, um, Matthews. Uh, when he can play like that, then he's an otherworldly offensive talent. Not just a good shooter or an aggressive player. He's otherworldly at that stage. And tonight he was that player. And again, let's not lose sight of the seven assists. Let's not lose sight of the five steals. That's the thing that continues to impress me, how well-rounded his game is at 25 years old. Now he's become this guy who's leading the league in scoring, but also is the best facilitator on the team, also a much better individual defender and help defender. Um, it, it's, it's amazing to watch. And, yeah, the, the MVP chance were pretty loud tonight. And there's great, you know, a great race involved with Mark Gasol and Anthony Davis and Steph Curry. But right now, James Harden continues to play at a level that is impressive. And to note your point, when you have a couple bad games, he came out tonight and just took it to another level. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely. You know, we talked about this uh, in the podcast uh, maybe six weeks ago, five, six weeks ago, whenever it was about, you know, the early signs that he was 
in the MVP hunt, and I think he's, he's certainly right there. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the Corey Brewer trade. I'm uh, encouraged from his first game how he could uh, have an impact here. And, and let's face it, this team just needed some depth, period. No matter who it was, they needed somebody who they could rely on and, and uh, play, put in their rotation. But, A, I was surprised. Alexi Schved came in in the first quarter tonight and played. And, uh, Terribly. Yeah, he wasn't very good. But that just I was. it shocked me that he was even, you know, he came in. Um, but Mikhail, after the game, is, was very clear that both Brewer and Schved will be in our rotation, you know, quote-unquote, from Mikhail. I looked at that trade, the Schved part of it, and, and the fact that they pulled it off uh, just before this, you know, artificial deadline so they can still combine that deal 60 days from now before the NBA trade deadline in February. I looked at that as mainly a contract. You know, hey, it's a guy, you know, a little bit of a veteran here who might be able to play in a pinch, but, you know, I, I didn't necessarily think he would, he would play. So I'm a little shocked, to be honest, it caught me off guard that this guy's in the rotation. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I agree, and I, and I think it's, it's going to be a test case for him. Look, all their guards off the bench are smallish. And the one point that Mikel keeps making is that Schved and Brewer give them size on the wing, and they desperately need size on the wing, A, and B, guys that can give you know some sort of breather for James Harden and Trevor Ariza, which they got tonight. You can't have those guys continually play 36, 38, 37 minutes a game and last and be efficient through the course of the season. So I think it's twofold. Um, I don't know Schved fits very well here. He looked a little bit lost tonight, but let's not judge the guy on one game when he's had one practice and one walkthrough. But... If, you're, if your guards are Jason Terry and Nick Johnson and Isaiah Cannon, you have no size. And there are moments in time where you have to have some size off your bench defensively, and you have to do that consistently in terms of really attacking some of the teams in the Western Conference who can get big in the backcourt. So I think that's a plus for them. Obviously, Brewer is going to be there. The Schmidt thing has to develop. He has to be a consistent defensive player for them in order to play. I don't think it's really going to be about scoring with him. Because they'll have other guys on the court who could facilitate or score the basketball when I think he's in there. I think, by and large, he's in there because of his size defensively and just to be a disruptor on that end of the court. Can he maintain that? It didn't look good tonight. There will be ample opportunity for him to do that moving forward. But I think, ultimately, you won't see Nick Johnson and Isaiah Cannon playing very much for this team because they have to get some guys defensively to maintain that level of play that they showcase as far as this yeah. season. I think Nick Johnson's had it. Yeah, I mean, he's had some great moments, but he's had a lot of games where you're like, wow, that's just, you know, just a, a rookie being a rookie. He's made some some mistakes, some poor plays. I, I, I like the kid. I, I think he uh, has a future, but I think it's just going to be a little while. I think ideally they'd like to send him back to the D-League to get more uh, run and experience. You know, before we uh, break out the, the knives and the pitchforks battling it out <laughs> over Josh Smith, because obviously, uh, you know, behind the scenes, uh, today was certainly a day talking about Josh Smith. There's a, there's a rumor out there. Josh Smith stunningly uh, cut by the D- Detroit Pistons today uh, and really created a bit of a firestorm about where he will end up. And it looks like the Rockets are uh, probably the l- the leading contender, according to Yahoo Sports, to uh, to sign him. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But maybe some foreshadowing tonight. We saw Joey Dorsey jump ahead of Tarek Black in the rotation. Dorsey came in in the first quarter. Uh, Black, I believe, did not play until garbage time. I'm curious to see what Mikhail does with the bigs moving forward. Um, I don't see a whole lot of difference in my mind in terms of consistent play between Black and Dorsey. They both had their moments. I think Black played really well as a starter. He hasn't been quite as effective now that Dwight's come back. You would like to think that Dorsey, given his experience, a little bit in the NBA, extensively overseas, that he could be a better player for you off the bench than he's been. And he's had his moments this season as well. 
maybe that's what we're seeing now, this, this reliance upon veterans off your bench to be an anchor um, to give Dwight Howard more of a rest. And it was interesting, we talked about this earlier too, Mikhail's kind of point about Mc, Howard's knee being troublesome oh, yeah. at this stage. And you have to wonder how much they monitor that moving forward. Howard played 32 minutes tonight after playing 41 on Saturday against the Hawks. They're going to be careful with him, I think. And if you've got to be careful with him, you better make sure that the guy backing him up is the guy you trust. And we'll get into Josh Smith if he plays a role in that moving forward. But right now, you've got to have a bruising type of guy who can rebound and play defense. And maybe they think at this stage, Joey Dorsey is more of an answer than, than Tariq Black. It's a coin flip in my mind. But it's definitely going to be something to watch because you can't rely too much minutes-wise on Dwight Howard so you know for sure his knee is 100% healthy. Yeah, and I'm wondering how much, you know, obviously they're going to have they're going to have to create a roster spot if they do bring in Josh Smith. Um, Joey Dorsey, uh, by most accounts, you know, they might have liked him better as a player, but, uh, you know, that two-year guaranteed contract saved him in the battle against Jeff Adrian. Certainly Jeff Adrian outplayed him in the preseason. Granted, uh, Dorsey was battling a little bit of an injury, and he's had his moments uh, this season. Uh, I'm wondering if that may come into play as well, if they do need to create a roster spot if Black doesn't get the axe over Dorsey, simply because Tark Black is a contract that expires this year. Dorsey, you're on the hook for next year. It'd be sad because Black has worked his tail off to get to this point. Sure. I think, you know, I was a little bit hesitant to see him play significant minutes once Dwight went down. He played his butt off, and yeah. I think he earned everything he got from that point moving forward. So I, I would be discouraged to see him go, but I think your point, is valid. It's 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 salient. At some point, it's going to be one or the other. If you bring a guy like Josh Smith in, because then it'll just be a collect in the front court with Demo, with Josh Smith, maybe getting Terrence Jones at some point back in the second half of the season. Dwight Howard. You don't have enough minutes for all those guys, and you're going to need that roster spot with Josh Smith gets here. And I think clearly it's another big who has to go because at this point now, with the addition of Sved and Brewer, the way Papa Nikolai can give you some minutes for four and a three. You got plenty of bodies there. You're gonna to have to get rid of a body up front, a big body, to make room for Josh Smith. You know, and let's talk a little bit about Josh Smith here because obviously, you know, he, he's been terrible this year. Uh, Not just this year. <laughs> okay, okay, we can talk about that as well. But this is a guy who was owed, I believe, 25 to 30 million dollars. Had another, you know, this this season and two more years, I believe, remaining on his contract. And it was almost unprecedented. If I certainly don't know of an, uh, a case that I can think of off the top of my head where somebody's making this much money and was cut with this much, this many years left. You know, uh, we've seen contracts like Joe Johnson's and others that that get moved for something just maybe a little less painful. They they opted to go a completely different route, use the stretch provision, uh, and just get him off their team. So that that's got to concern you anybody who's picking him up that they were so anxious to unload him just get him out of there that they were willing to go through that uh that pain but in my opinion in looking at this two million dollars is what they would probably cost the rockets uh you know a year to bring him on it's it's a no-brainer to do it uh, that you have to do it if you get that chance but yet you you may have a different opinion i don't know if it's a no-brainer and i think let's put everything in the context in terms of the decision detroit made Stan Van Gunning got there and recognized, like everybody recognized, it was a poor decision to sign him in the first place when you have an Andre Drummond and a Greg Monroe in your front court. That was a bad move by yeah. Joe Dumar. So I don't think that's all about Josh Smith. It's about the decision-making process of fitting a four on the court with another four and another five and trying to make him into a three when he has shown a propensity for taking way too many three-pointers the last few years in Atlanta and becoming just an awful, inefficient player like Rudy Gay. Now, I will give you a point by bringing Gay up. 
everyone thought the same thing with Gay when he got moved to Sacramento last year from Toronto, where he had been an awfully inefficient player, got to Sacramento, figured some things out, became a better player. So maybe there's a sliver of hope that yeah. Josh Smith gets in the right situation, plays the four and no longer masquerades as a small forward, and becomes the player he was once with Atlanta. Yeah. But it's been too many years since then. Back-to-back years of a per of 14 in Detroit. Um, three players in this league have played 70, 700-plus minutes and have a true shooting percentage of under 42%. Josh Smith, Rajon Rondo, Alfred Payton. Yeah. He's among the worst shooting players in this league at a high volume. The, the numbers go all the way through where you see how bad he's been in recent years, not just this year, the last two years with Detroit, the last year and a half plus with Atlanta, where he's become this guy where he's taking too many three-pointers and doesn't seem to understand where his best spots are on the court. Some of that obviously is, is, is done by the bad fit in Detroit, but I'm just concerned that if you bring him in here, how do you convince him to stay inside only when he's clearly become in love with the three-pointer? I'm looking at this shot chart now. I see an awful lot of red, and I see way too many three-pointers taken. He's become this guy who doesn't understand his limitations. Yeah. Maybe the circumstances change that. Maybe a scenario change alters his way of thinking. But right now, he's given you too many years of bad play, of bad decision-making to bring him in here and expect him to become something different. Well, I guess the way I look at it is at $2 million, and this is you know, half, if not less than half, of what, say, for example, Papa Nicolau is making, it's such a low-risk uh, chance that you can take that, that you, you, know, you... This is a guy who, there's no doubt about it, he's flawed as a star, as a lead player, but you're bringing him into a, scenario, into a situation where you have Dwight Howard playing behind him, a, a guy who protects the paint, uh, you've got James Harden. If this guy comes in here and he's taking 15-plus shots a, a game, 20 shots a game, then obviously it's not working out. You've got to change things. You've got to bench and bring him down. At $2 million, it's such a low risk, in my opinion, um, that I, I just, to me, it's you've got to make that happen. And what I really like about it as well is I think you bring him in here, and if he can do some of the dirty work that a, that a, that you want a big to do, to be able to be a good weak side shot blocker, a, a rebounder, guy who, who can defend um, some fours, uh, maybe get you a few steals in the passing lanes, and, and also run in transition. The declining athleticism is a little is a concern for me. But if he can do some of those things, that makes a Terrence Jones or a Denonis Motunas more expendable in a trade. And now you get value somewhere else where you need it. And I'm looking right at you, Goran Dragic. Is, you know, we want to see a trade eventually happen that, that the Rockets are able to add a significant piece. And that, by getting Josh Smith on the cheap, you can now take somebody who might have a better trade value and move him. I think this is the Rajon Rondo argument, and, and I don't want to seem hypocritical because I think I was the one, you know. Yeah, you and I debated on this. Yeah, well, and, yeah, and I liked what Dallas did in getting him, even though there's some some ugly recent history with the shooting and his defensive play and yada yada yada. The same thing can be said for 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 Josh Smith. He's not the same level defensive player he was in his prime in Atlanta. Um, he seems like he's an older player, even though he's only 29. Um, I don't know if he's going to come in here and subjugate his game enough to be nothing but a guy off the bench, nothing but a guy who shoots on the inside. By the way, he's shooting 40.7% on two-pointers this year. Yeah. So he's not even a good guy I think inside. around the rim it's like 44%. It's awful. Like he, he, he's it's... just awful. So uh, I think that's my concern. When you're paying a guy that much money and he's been a star player on some level for a long time, I'm dubious in him coming in here and just saying, you know what? I'll take eight shots a game. Yeah. I'll do whatever it takes to help this team win because he's been out front for so very long. 
You can't give him $54 million in Detroit and then a year and a half later get rid of him and expect him to come here and just be like, you know what, Kevin, I'll come off the bench and, and, and grind and jump on the floor and, and get rebounds and block shots. I just don't see it. He can prove me wrong. Yeah. And I think your point about it being only $2 million makes it worth the Rockets you know, while to, to, to go for him. But, man, I think it's, it's more of a risk than anything they've done recently because he could be coming here and become a very disruptive force in terms of how he plays and how he's played the last three-plus years uh, with Detroit and, and it, during the decline in Atlanta. And, and this is the exact conversation, by the way, that you and I had. We, we, we took opposite stances on Rashawn Rondo when the Rockets were rumored to be trying to trade for him. And let me just say that I did not like Rondo for the Rockets. I did not. I did not. I, I absolutely agree he has uh, special qualities. Uh, you know, The qualities of an offensive player, uh, just an overall player, that some very unique qualities. But I feel like... Uh, you take a, a decline in three-point shooting, um, possibly a decline in defense compared to Beverly, just given uh, what he does. And, and it's it, it just seems to me you're not you're fixing something that's not broken out. If he was to be waived, and you suddenly have a chance to get Rajon Rondo for two million dollars, I'm I'm trying to get first in line. And 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 that's where I look. I stand with Josh Smith. When they were talking about the Rockets possibly trading for Josh Smith in that contract, I, I mean it petrifies me. No way. That's that's high high risk. But when you're talking about a guy who's waived and picked up for two million dollars, you know you can you can cut him just as easily and, and dismiss him from your team as you did picking him up. So to me, that's I think that's worth it. And this is a guy also that that is close with Dwight Howard, and I think Dwight might be able to reach him and say, "Hey, look, we're trying to win a title here, and and got to get with the program." That's the mystery, you know. Can he come in here and, and play nice with the guys who are on his team? And you know, at this stage. It, you're bringing veterans in because you don't want to jerk with the chemistry. And I like the chemistry of this team, and I think that's why the addition of Corey Brewer works because, God, he's been saved from Minnesota. I mean, yeah. he's been smiling nonstop every time we see him because he's so happy to be in a situation where he can win and contend for a championship. And maybe Josh Smith becomes that guy too because they've been on the mediocrity treadmill in Atlanta. Detroit's been awful. Maybe he does come in here and change his attitude because it's a change of scenery for him. But, man, he's been a negative offensive player for a long time. And to ask a leopard to change his spots with the, uh, the snap of your fingers is, is a little bit of a concern for me. But, again, it, it's low risk financially. Maybe the circumstances are such that he understands what's at stake. and Maybe he becomes a different player. But you're talking about a lot of history. It's not like a short amount of history. It's a lot of history of him becoming a declining player. And if he's not what he was athletically, then what are you really buying yourself into? You know, uh, random uh, to, to jump into this here, but uh, if you're the Houston Rockets, do you trade uh, Donatus Motiunas, the New Orleans pick, and, and probably Capella to get a guy like uh, Goran with just you know half a season left and unrestricted free agency looming? I think that has to be in concert with getting Josh Smith. I don't think you can eliminate Donatus Motiunas without having another four available to, to give you some scoring, and we don't know what's going to happen with Terrence Jones. You know, uh, that that's way too risky. Now, if you feel... C- Here's your equation. You're getting Goran Dragic and Josh Smith and losing Donatus Motiunas, a number one pick, and Clint Capella. I think all day, every day, you take that. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm a huge Goran Dragic fan. I think adding him to this team makes him so much more dynamic oh, because he plays a lot like James Harden yes. to, a, to an extent in terms of the shooting, the penetration, the craftiness with the basketball. They'd be a, 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 a pain in the backside to guard, those two guys on the court together. And then, again, you're asking Josh Smith to kind of lower himself in terms of what he's giving you offensively. Maybe he does that. 
that's a dangerous team. If you if you're talking about adding those two guys, then yeah, I'm not letting Tanada's Boy to stand in the way of me getting those two players and a draft pick. I'm not as in love with draft picks as you and, and Mr. You know uh, <laughs> David, David Weiner is. Yeah. I think you play for the now, and those guys would definitely boost your opportunity to win right now. Yeah, oh, Goran would be just absolutely. Uh, I think if they were able to get Goran Dragic, I'd, I'd feel comfortable in saying that hey, this team can absolutely contend for. For an NBA title, I mean, there's there's too many good teams out there to say yes, they're the, the front runner. But that would be a team that, I, in my opinion, just just even in flashes, what we saw tonight, just when Corey Brewer took the ball and quickly penetrated, I, it was almost like the defense didn't know what to, what was going on because they're like, wait, whoa, whoa, James Harden's the only one here. Beverly penetrates and, and usually just you know does that circle under the hoop. Gosh. Ariza just is a total mess trying to penetrate, in my opinion. And often we could we could talk about Ariza's offensive woes. Uh, all year, he's been fantastic defensively. I'm not uh, trying to pick on Trevor Reza, but he offensively has been a mess uh, for for most of the season. Um, they just don't have that creator, and I think you know Goran is is going to be a very a, a guy who's very difficult to acquire. But I'm sure they're going to be monitoring that situation 24/7. I don't want to get my hopes up too high at A, and then B. Mikhail made this point about um, all the changes of late and wondering where it's going in terms of just kind of you're constantly changing things because of the injuries first of all now you made a couple trades and now we're talking about another potential acquisition in Josh Smith at some point you have to lock in with your roster and move forward with those guys you can't keep tweaking 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 and that's been the knock on Daryl Morey for years you know when you're a championship contender you get your guys you stay with your guys you move forward and the addition of Josh Smith is going to be one more addition to a team that's already had two additions that's had to deal with injuries for the first 20 games of the season at some point you stop and you say, this is what we got. Let's move forward with this group. And I would hope that if it's going to be Dragic, that he's a last line of defense. You move forward with those guys, and you don't keep tweaking because at some point you'll never find out what your identity is as a team. Well, here we go. They've got a, a very tough – this was a, a big game tonight, but they've got a tough stretch coming up. Uh, they've got the Grizzlies. They've got the Spurs. I believe the Wizards are, are coming up as well. Uh, this is a, we're going to see what the team's made of right now, I think, and uh, we're excited to see to Brewer in there how that team do, how they do uh, from here. But um, you know, MK, thanks so much for for coming on with me. T- to first of all, tell everybody where we can find your work. Um, cult, um, Culture Map is probably the easiest place to find my work, and I'm always on Twitter banging around, having conversations with with guys about sports and food and movies. And um, Moisa Capenda is where you can find me there, but. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think things are going to get really interesting. I think the adjustment thing is going to happen, personally. I think it, is, it seems like it's it, it, It's going to happen, and then that opens up a whole new door of opportunity for this team. And it's going to be really intriguing, as you reference. The, the slate of games is really difficult the next couple of weeks. We'll see how they manage the adding the addition of another player, as well as playing some really difficult teams in the West. Awesome, man. Thanks again for coming on. Merry Christmas to you. and to you. Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Have a good one.